All right, so um, today we are going to start a new series. Uh, before we get, get to that, I want to just be thankful. I'm very, very thankful for the weekend that we had last weekend. Everybody that was here, I'm sure that you were blessed by it as well. The discipleship seminar was awesome. Um, I was energized by it. I hope you were energized by it. I hope that you've taken away things saying that, hey, I can do that now, right? Discipleship is not as scary as I might have thought it was. There's tools and things that you can do today even to be a better disciple maker for Jesus. And so I hope that you were encouraged by that. But as we get started, I kind of wanted to tie everything back into what we're all about. Okay, it's been a while since we've looked at this graphic. It's been a while since I've talked about this. I've referenced it now and then, but I want everybody to put their eyes on this because we're not just doing this discipleship seminar for the sake of doing a seminar, okay? We're not just learning things for the sake of learning things. We're not just getting these tools so that we can have them, right? They all point back to what our aim and our goals are as a body here at Melbourne, uh, in Melbourne, Florida, right? At the very, very top of this entire list, our aim is to glorify God. That's a pretty good thing, right? I would assume so, yes. Let, let's get a little bit more enthusiasm, right? That's a good thing. Our aim is to glorify God. So when we go into things like the discipleship seminar, it's, again, not just so that we can be better communicators. It's so that we can ultimately glorify God. What we do, we imitate Jesus. We serve others. We share the gospel, all revolving around the why we even assemble. It's to glorify God. The how we do it is so, so significant, too. Following the Spirit's direction, loving God and others, witnessing to God's grace and mercy. Why? To glorify God. That's it. And sometimes I, I, I shy away from this because sometimes I set it up here. I don't want to just be using churchy words for the sake of using churchy words. I'm not about that. I want to make this real. and I want to make this tangible. But the why we do everything that we do revolves around glorifying God. And it's one of those umbrella things that I think everybody in this room has a, uni a unique way of doing this in your life. And as we come together as a body on Sunday morning, we're coming together to glorify him as the assembly. But once you leave, you don't stop this, right? You don't stop glorifying God. This isn't just an aim for Sunday mornings. It's an aim for every aspect of your life. But in order for us to do all those things, the why, right, to glorify God, the how and the what, in order to do all of those things, we need to be rooted in the gospel. We need to know who Jesus is. We need to be in the gospel as if we're living side by side, parallel lives with the life of Jesus. Rooted in the gospel. Jesus changes absolutely everything. But why tell people? Sure, we have the Great Commission. Sure, Jesus tells us to. That's a good enough reason for me. But why tell people? I think that is a question that you have to answer for yourself. Why tell people about Jesus? We're going to get to that later, but I want that to be in your mind. But I'm going to ask you another question as you think about that question. Why do you like the things that you like in your life? Think about your entire life. Why do you like the things that you like? Uh, for me, I think back very specifically to the music that I really enjoyed as a kid. Um, I have an older sister, and I was blessed to have an older sister who was really, really kind to me. I know some of you in here probably have some older siblings that were not so kind to you. Uh, my sister was really nice. Uh, she was really cool, and I just wanted to be around her, kind of absorbing her coolness for myself. Uh, one of the things that I was, you know, really interested in 
music that she listened to, right? She would get ready in the morning and she'd be blasting this music at like five morning and there's still to this day there's certain songs that come on I'm like yeah she's probably like blow drying her right 15 years later 20 years later I still think of those songs as oh that's Anna's getting ready playlist right and I was shaped by that music I started to like what she liked because she was the cool older sister right even with my parents music the same thing happened my dad liked that music I wanted to like that music he was playing it in the car I wanted to memorize whoever was playing that song I I tell my kids this all the time that we didn't have like cool things to do in the car. Uh, so whenever a song came on, my cool thing to do was to memorize the artist that was playing that song so that maybe one day I would be asked who was playing that song and I know the answer to it. It's really weird. Um, but I like to play that game by myself and I've actually made my son play that game with me as well uh, to be able to identify songs and the artists who are playing that song. But you get what I'm saying. The music that was handed down to me, I started to like it because somebody else influenced me to like it. And that's how a lot of your music taste or your movie taste or show taste, a lot of that stuff happens that way. Somebody influenced you to like the thing that you like. And even right now you're thinking in your head, guess what? I'm an individual person. Nobody has influenced me to like certain things because I go against the grain. Guess what? Those people still influence you to go against the grain. So you're not as unique as you think, right? Um, you chose to like something based on somebody else's opinion in some form or fashion, okay? We, can, we could parse that. We could argue about that. But to a certain degree, there is something in your life that somebody influenced you to like because they liked it. So Let's take it a little bit of a step further into what we're doing here this morning. Why did you become a Christian? So we talked about the music, maybe the TV shows, movies that you liked. Take a more personal, more kind of intimate detail about yourself. Why did you become a Christian? And guess what? It goes back to my sister, Anna, again. Um, we grew up in the church. My mom was my first Bible class teacher, uh, sitting in those yellow chairs that are connected to a table. We all know about that chair right? That, that like plastic that's going to dig into your leg, but you, but your kids, so you don't feel it, right? Maybe you do. I don't know. But then I haven't asked a kid lately if they felt that. Um, but my mom brought me to church. My sister is the one who really introduced me to youth group, right? She started going to the church that had kids at it. And I found, oh, there's people that are my age who like Jesus. That's interesting. But my sister introduced me to that group. And I actually got to marry one of those youth group people. My wife, we met in youth group. Right? It's one of those things where she was a big influence. The best man at my wedding I met in my youth group. I was super, super invested and influenced by those people in my youth group. I think about all the youth ministers, right? The people I went to camp with, they influenced me deeply to where I decided to become a Christian. I remember exactly where I was. I was at camp and I was convicted and I started ugly crying in front of everybody. It was bad. I had this long hair and I was all sweaty and I had all these tears coming down my face. I didn't know why I was crying, but I was convicted. But it's because of all those people that I interacted with that really got me to make that decision for my life. And I'm sure if we went around the room right now, if we had a small group setting and I asked you, who influenced you to become a Christian most, you'd have a long story to tell me, right? Because that person or those people, that group is so significant to you because it set your entire life on a different trajectory. The why, though, because it, it kind of comes back to me. Why did I become a Christian? It's not just because of my parents. I became a Christian because Jesus is Lord, right? 
We've seen a bunch of baptisms happen, and they're all saying yes to Jesus. They're not saying yes to me. They're not saying yes to you. They're saying yes to Jesus. The why is Jesus is Lord, but the how is about everybody else in your life, right? The how you got there is very, very important. The why is absolutely everything. Jesus is Lord, but the how makes it possible. You see what I'm saying? The why is saying yes to Jesus. The why is saying I'm going to live my life in rejection of what the world is saying and saying yes to Jesus. But along the way, people are significant, right? People, events, discipleship, DBS, Bible studies are very significant. The how makes it possible to follow the why. So like I said, today we are starting a new series and we're going to get to know a friend named Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to go through the entire book of Luke. But I want this to be in the back of your head, these big questions of why you do the things that you do. Why did I become a Christian? Why am I choosing to live this life? And I want to invite you to understand who Luke is and why he's doing what he's doing. So let's read this together again. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who were first... uh, by those who first from the by those who from the first okay were eyewitnesses and servants of the word with this in mind since i myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning i too decided to write in a in a, i'm sorry i'm tripping over my words very badly i apologize i too decided to write an orderly account for you most excellent theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. I have decided to write an orderly account. And I love Luke because he starts his gospel out differently than everybody else. Right? Matthew is all about talking about specific times and places to Jewish people. Right? Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience saying, hey, look how Jesus fulfilled everything. Mark is like, hey, let's cut to the chase. I have no time for you. We got to get to the life and death of Jesus as fast as humanly possible. And then Luke is saying, hey, I've done my research. I've talked to people. Luke never actually met Jesus, right? He's getting these eyewitness accounts, people who are with Jesus. Later on, Luke is going to pal up with Paul, go on missionary journeys with Paul. And then Luke is going to insert himself into the story of what Jesus is doing in the world. And then I don't know what John's about. John is off talking about crazy stuff left and right. John's gospel is totally different in a lot of ways than the other three. But Luke is very specific as to why he is writing the way that he's writing. This is the thesis gospel, right? You remember writing a thesis statement in college or high school? Why you're writing, what you're writing? Luke is very clear. I am writing in an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Pause for a second. I don't want to get lost in the weeds. You know I don't like to get lost in in little details, but I want to stop for a second. Theophilus, we're not really sure who Theophilus was. Okay, Theophilus was probably a Greek Roman soldier, something like that, or it could be just kind of a, a statement to talk about lovers of God because that's what Theophilus means. People think different things. That doesn't really matter, but what does matter is that Luke is still writing this gospel for everybody. Does that make sense? It's not just to a Jewish audience that's going to really line up with this fulfillment idea. Luke is saying, hey, everybody listen up because Jesus has something to say to you. Okay? 
I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning and decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I just want you to think about us, okay? This is still being written to us for us to partake in. I also want to take away that Luke is locked in to this being taking place, for this, for this gospel to be taking place. But really, why is Luke writing this? So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Okay, so Luke is writing this thing. It seems like it's less to do with the right answer and more to do with the fact of the matter is all the things that you're hearing from Paul, all the things that you're hearing from the apostles, everything that you've been hearing about the gospel, I'm going to tell you why all that is true. And the answer lies in the life of Jesus. Luke is revealing that sel- the, 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 the solution to life, to, to, life, to life, that all of the other gods that people might be experiencing and interacting with are insufficient. But the life of Jesus, his life, burial, and death, and resurrection, all of that makes everything you're hearing true, valid, and authoritative. The life of Jesus is the ultimate proof text encounter Jesus, this is totally different. And you're going to encounter something that is going to make you a little bit uneasy and it should make you a little nervous because this word is scary. You see, I, pause for a second. I didn't really know what I was going to preach about this entire week, okay? I wrote this entire sermon and I wasn't sure how it was going to come out. Because all of this, I kept reading it and reading it and sitting, it, sitting with this text and this word kept standing out to me more and more. And the reason why is I think so much of our life and so much of this world, certainty is not real. We don't like to deal with certainties. I don't like to deal with certainties. Guys, if you were to ask me, where is Michelle right now? I would say, she's in that back room. I'm pretty sure, but I'm not certain, right? I'm like 99.9% sure Michelle is in that room. But if you said, Jimmy, where is Michelle? I would like to say she's back there, but I'm not certain. I don't like to speak in certainties. And maybe that's just a Jimmy problem. And maybe you don't feel that way. But I don't like to really be wrong. Do you guys like to be wrong? (laughs) No, absolutely not. I don't like to be wrong. I like to be absolutely wrong. So if you say, Jimmy, I went back there and Michelle's not there. I told you I wasn't certain if she was going to be back there. You know, I don't like to, 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 to operate in that area. But when I read Luke and I see how locked in he is, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught, he's not talking about himself anymore. He's talking about gathering these eyewitnesses. He's talking about gathering all these things, sure, and the legwork that he's gone through. But what he's ultimately saying, and he's, he's trying to say it with his chest as loud as he possibly can, I'm going to write all this stuff down about the life of Jesus because everything that he did maintains everything that we're teaching. His entire life, again, is the proof text for what we've been teaching and searching after. But then I read Luke and I, and I, and I read about how he, he's t- bringing all the certainty and all these things with Jesus and all these things in his life. And I kind of get to this question for myself. Am I sharing the gospel with that same certainty? Am I sharing the gospel with this same certainty? And again, I feel like this word is really intimidating. In life, we grow accustomed to certain things failing. I, I know for me, when I, when I 
ask someone to meet up, there's a chance they're not going to meet up with me, right? We've all had an experience where someone's supposed to come do work on your house and they don't show up. That was a certain thing that ends up failing. I know that myself, I've been on the other side of it as well. I know for a fact I have failed in being that certain person. John spoke last week um, about a failing that he had in a similar way where he's like, you know, I kept falling short in this person's life over and over again. We're supposed to be that people that show up. But the fact of the matter is we are sometimes uncertain ourselves. And so I take a step further and we get into Luke and it seems really serious, but I sometimes fall short of sharing the gospel with this certainty. And I know that I'm not alone. I know that I'm not alone. I would like to think that I preach the gospel with the certainty of Christ. I would like to think that everybody receives this word and you can see the sincerity that I bring every week, but it's just not the case. In fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, like we're going to for the next several weeks, months, for a very long time, it's going to be a long series, okay? If you look at the gospel, the certainty of Christ has a lot less to do with Jesus and a lot more to do with us being the uncertain ones. We're the ones that hear the message of Jesus but still walk the other direction, right? Because if the certainty of the gospel was just a blanket certainty that once you receive it, everything is different and no more uncertainty in your life will ever take place, then everything would be a whole lot easier, right? Because if the certainty was as certain as Jesus makes it out to be, He's the certain one. We are the uncertain one because if that were the case, we would still just be like perfect, right? We interacted with Jesus and then forever we would be perfect, but that's just not the case. We wouldn't need any more sermons. I wouldn't have a job to do really in this, in this capacity if the certainty was as certain as we read about in the gospel. But the fact of the matter is, it seems that it has less to do with Christ and more to do with our inability to accept the certainty. Do you see what I'm saying? There's this dissonance, there's this thing that we can't really fully comprehend what Jesus is doing and what his life does for our lives. We hear it, but we don't understand it, right? That's kind of the verbiage that's been taking place for a very long time. So it goes beyond this, am I sharing the gospel with certainty to the question, am I a bad Christian when I struggle with certainty? Am I a bad Christian? Because, guys, I went to Bible college. I have a degree in Bible, yet I still struggle with this. And so many that go before me. But the fact is, is that if you're not struggling with it, I don't think you fully get it. Right? If you, the more that you sit with the Gospels, the more you see really flawed people. Again, that's my language of flawed people wrestling with the perfection of Christ. Wrestling with this. So to answer this question, I think the answer is no. Okay? Do you, when you struggle, are you bad? No, it just means that you're struggling. It means you're wrestling with hard truths that are totally opposite of what the world wants you to believe. The fact is, if you aren't struggling, I think that's where your issue might be lying, right? Not lying, like, but your issue might be in the fact that you are not struggling. Do you see what I'm saying? If you're not wrestling with the certainty of Christ, if you're not looking at the life of Christ in the gospel and saying, I just don't add up, you're not going to be able to grow. You're not going to learn more, and you're not going to interact with Christ more. And I look back here in Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says this, With this in mind, 
Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke is writing this entire gospel to confirm the teachings of the apostles. I talked about John for a second. I'm going to go over to John. I don't have it as a slide, but you probably know these words in John chapter 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love these words because what it's saying here is that this Word in Jesus is becoming flesh and entering into this world that is unlike him. He takes on flesh, he becomes fully man and fully God, and he lives and he dwells with his people. But it's so interesting because his life lived and his life dying on a cross and raising again confirms everything that's been happening since the beginning of time. Remember when Jesus would do a miracle? I said, which is it easier, right? To say, I forgive your sins, or I forgive your sins, or to pick up your mat and walk, right? He says, I forgive your sins, but guess what? Just so that you guys know that I have the authority to do that, pick up your mat and walk. The same exact thing is happening here in Luke, and that's the stage that Luke is setting for us. He's saying that everything that you're teaching, everything that you learn, everything that we're saying about Jesus is fulfilled when you learn about the life of Jesus, The why is Jesus. The how is the telling. Do you see what I'm saying? The why is Jesus living and doing all these things. From the very beginning of time, this has been put in motion forever. But it's his life lived that says, yes, it's true. Right? Jesus talks about how your ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness and they died, but I am the bread of life. He talks about these things, how he confirms all that God has been doing and will do forever in his life. So Luke is saying, the why is Jesus. I'm going to tell you how to get there. So the question is, uh, how do we struggle with this? How do we get through this? How do we get to the point where we can say, you know what? I believe in the life of Jesus. I believe that it's significant for me. I want to live in that light. It's simple. You have to meet Jesus. You cannot glorify God unless you, are not, unless you are rooted in the Gospels. You cannot do this aim that we have put for our entire church, for everybody who attends here to say, yes, I am invested in glorifying God. You cannot do that unless you know who Jesus is. The why is so significant, but the how is meeting and knowing Jesus in the Gospels. So that's what we're undertaking, okay? This is all a setup, not not a setup in a bad way. This is all a setup to say we're being put in motion towards knowing and meeting Jesus for who he says he is. Why he came to this earth, why he did the things he did. Because at the end of it all, when we see the life of Jesus, it makes everything else promising. It makes the hope of eternal life true. His authority makes all of it possible, and his life lived makes all of it possible. But we are not going to be able to understand or to aim to glorify God at all unless we meet Jesus where he is.
<laughs> excuse me, I'm struggling with my throat today. But I want to encourage you, you might not know the Bible as, as well as you want to. That's okay right now. But I want to encourage you through this series to struggle a little bit. I want you to struggle. I want you to be maybe a little bit intimidated by the fact of, I need to meet Jesus? Yeah, you do. You need to make the legwork to say, I want, you need to do the legwork to say, I want to meet Jesus and interact with him in my life now. He doesn't just live here, but this is where we meet him, okay? We cannot meet Jesus without the Gospels. So I want to encourage you through this series that the why is so, so important. We want to glorify God. We want to do these things. But how we get there is meeting Jesus on his terms and seeing how we can interact with him on a daily basis. Let's pray. (coughs) God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for Luke. I thank you for giving us this gospel that is so intentional to point to the life of Christ so that we may know what we believe is true. Jesus is the ultimate proof text. There's nothing that comes before or after. We can have all these church sayings that we say that are so true that we can't have anything that we do after that unless we meet Jesus, unless we know the life of Jesus, unless we do all these things, walk with him, we will not be able to do anything. Help us to authentically meet Jesus. Help us to authentically say, God, I want to struggle. Not necessarily want to struggle, but help me as I struggle in meeting Jesus where I am today. God, help us to be vulnerable and open to that as we go through this series. In Jesus, let me pray. Amen. If you have any needs, uh, we want to be available to you. If you've never spent time in the Gospels and you say, you know what, Sunday mornings are great, but I want more, we got plenty of people that want to walk with you. I want to walk with you. I'd much prefer that than the other things I end up doing with my work, okay? (laughs) I love talking to people about Jesus. Please, Ask somebody today. We have elders that are standing back there. If you want to pull one of us aside and go to the prayer room, it's all available. We love to pray. We love to talk. Please, if you have any needs, won't you come while we stand and sing?